Welcome, everybody. Hi, this is uh, Julia. We're on Health Matters. Um, this is where we're talking to founders, clinicians, academics, uh, and investors all operating at the intersection of health and tech. Uh, so I'm Julia. I'm a general partner at Local Globe, uh, where I lead our investments in health. And um, our, my co-host is Akta. Uh, hi, Akta. Hi there. Um, my, I'm a Ned at the Royal Free, and I also do some um, health tech investing. Uh, great. And Pam is our is our guest uh, today. She's a, one of our heroes. She began her career in management at the NHS uh, and now specializes in org strategy and the development of healthcare. Um, she's a fellow of the Judge Business School at the University of Cambridge uh, and works very extensively uh, with boards of a wide range of healthcare organizations on strategy, governance and leadership, and she founded and co-chairs the Cambridge Health Network. Um, she's also an angel investor uh, and is here to share uh, some of her pearls of wisdom with us. Um, Pam, thanks so much for, for coming. Um, just, I guess, to, to, to start us off, um, would love to know um, what initially drew you to a career in, in health. Hi, everybody. Uh, what drew me to health was um, I did a science degree and I, I was told that there's a good graduate program for management in the NHS. And I momentarily thought about a PhD, which I was so sensible at 21 not to do. I'd have been terrible. So I went and I got on this program that trained you in hospital administration. And I thought, oh, this is cool. You could do. We found health to be sort of worthwhile and I like hanging around with bright people like <clears throat> doctors and scientists in, in the NHS and then I went to America and got trained in it as well got trained twice <laughs> yeah um I mean there's lots and lots of um job opportunities that aren't just within doctors and nurses which lots of people don't think about um and I think I found a similar thing um in, in my role as a NED at the Royal Free, which is that there's there's so many bright people um, trying to do their best to help doctors and nurses to do their job yeah. really well. So I think that's really exciting. Now, um, Pam, you've had, you've seen um, health organisations both here and in the UK, uh, both here and in the US, and um, you've, you've sort of had a fairly long career and the growth of tech in the NHS um, has been exponential. But in, in your experience, where have you seen that it has had the biggest impact on patient care? Well, it's interesting. I, you warned me about this question and I thought very deeply because there's all sorts of medical technology and even sort of pharmaceutical technology. But excluding those, excluding drugs, excluding stuff like robotic surgery, which are fantastic, but only affect a few. I think the electronic patient record, I know it's boring, but and one particular example of it. So I went when I after, during the time I was in the US, the Veterans Administration, which takes care of veterans of foreign wars in the US, uh, developed its own EPR or electronic patient record called VISTA. And when after I'd left the States, when Katrina, Hurricane Katrina happened, all these disabled damaged veterans living in New Orleans were the only people who could get access to their medical records and their meds through an electronic patient record that delivered. And they then offered this EPR free to other countries. And I thought that was a remarkable thing. If you count electronic communications, 
as tech, which it is. Um, so I think American companies, which is fine. Uh, but I think uh, on a broader level, digital communications between different bits of the system um, have revolutionized patient care, not as much as they should have done, but they have. Yeah, I, I think I really agree with that. I mean, we, we can't do anything in terms of data analysis, um, seeing where people are on the pathway from a scale basis or anything without that EPR. So I totally agree with you. Mm, good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I agree as well. And I guess I guess coming into this, um, the the potential that we see where the startups and, and smaller companies um, obviously playing with within this this large um, market of, of healthcare and healthcare provision. But where do you think that 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 the, they can have the largest impact or where can they play a role in delivery? What the the big tech you mean? No, uh, actually, I meant the role uh, that the smaller smaller startups uh, can play. Oh, sorry. In, in, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Smaller startups. Well, there there will always be a, a role for the smaller startups. Um, I say in terms of the size of industry, by some measures, health broadly is the biggest industry in the world. It it, it vies with agriculture. And there will always be startups challenging the incumbents. There's also a lot of money to be made. I mean, the U.S. market's worth, um, the U.S. health system or sector is $4 trillion next year. So there will always be uh, innovative people trying to do the right thing because it's health and also challenging this massive set of incumbents that are good. Uh, and we also have so much great science in health and medicine and bioscience, if you take it more broadly. So um, I'm very hopeful. And as an angel investor, you can imagine and, and you guys will see it. And Julia specifically, I guess, as a VC, um, I mean, the number of startups in our sector is extraordinary and appears to be growing from my experience um, uh, rapidly. So I think there's always a role for them. Yeah. And then, so you, you just mentioned the sort of larger incumbents. Do you think it will the market will turn into the kind of social media market where the innovation will happen in small businesses and then they just get gobbled up by the sort of Google Health, Microsofts and the IBMs? Or, um, or do you think there will be space for these smaller ones to grow to something big? Yeah, it's a good question. We're always talking about that in the, in the Cambridge ecosystem because you're more likely to IPO in um, in the US than you are here. And you're more likely to get bought because our assets are considered undervalued by some of the American VCs. Um, Amazon, etc. Uh, buying up the companies at an early stage for their human capacity and the people with PhDs in AI, etc., uh, they want those people, um, even pre-revenue, as, as you know. Um, but no, I think um, I'm hopeful that we'll we'll get more scaling up um, and some more UK IPOs. There's one being discussed at the moment, isn't there? That that's quite well known. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think I think it's it's probably good we have these massive tech companies who are 
all now, I can't see much in Facebook, but they're all now interested in health and are investing heavily. I hope they don't roll over and squash some of these startups. I mean, I'm very much at the baby pre-seed seed end of companies. Um, and the, the other big incumbents, of course, are the pharmaceutical industry. You know, why do you rob a bank? That's where the money is. The, the, the money is in the life sciences companies as well. But because they can't innovate as fast as the, the agile, smaller companies, of course, they'll go after them. But I hope, I think like you were intimating, Axa, that we get a few that get enough funding rounds to scale up and get big enough, maybe go public and not, not be gobbled up. <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah, I agree. And, and I guess if we look more more specifically at the types of, I guess, um, the the sectors where you see there will be greatest growth um, in in the coming in the coming years, or where you see the greatest opportunities, Pam, where where would you say those are more specifically? Uh, yeah, so there's a lot in terms of. Um, in, in terms of technology, um, again, you must have seen this about five or six years ago, all the companies said they did AI and you go, yeah, really? Do you really do AI? And a lot of them didn't. And But I think AI has come of age because, and this is a bit simplistic, we have the data to drill into. We have the data in imaging. We have the data in all sorts of other areas in health. So I think artificial intelligence has come of age and we can discriminate between who's really doing it or not. In terms of types of sector within health, I think mental health is quite a crowded field, but boy, it's very necessary. And um, direct consumer and um, B2B, I think we will see a bit of a shakeout, but loads of opportunities, mental health. Femtech, which some people think is a bit of a bucket capsule um but femtech is big and getting bigger lots of female founders which is great um fertility tech i see a lot of um we actually have helen from fertility here um actually listening in i see <laughs> pam so agree with you on the fertility piece sorry i interrupted you yeah um the set, let's call it set. Um, I, I'm uh, seeing an LGBT. Pam, we're not hearing you. Some people call the taboo areas. Pam? It's because of the aging of the population and my age group is going to hit, the baby boomers are going to hit with chronic diseases and on such a scale that I still think that's a big one too. So those are, those are mine. Yeah. Oh, and I suppose I should say, although I'm not an expert in it, uh, genomics and personalization, personalization of medicines as well. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I think we see great, great overlap in the themes that we follow, actually. And uh, one, one other that, that we have been focusing on and which you actually spoke about earlier has been about like building the communication rails for healthcare. So we, I, I know yeah. obviously um, the big, big companies have been and, and are being built in, in that space, Accurex being, being one of them, but, but several others. 
but yeah. overall um yeah agree with you very much on the on those themes oh good <laughs> um so we've talked about some of your investment themes um without having to sort of call things out which ones are the ones that um in terms of the investments that you've made that you're sort of most excited about now this is a really unfair question i know is if i, <laughs> if I... <laughs> Hopefully the the others aren't listening. Um, but yeah, this is a difficult one. Getting into trouble about this. So I have made over my lifetime investing. Um, was it twenty four investments? Um, three I've exited. They're all, amazingly they're all still in business. Um, I think that's because I focus on health. Um, I've got two that are non-health by Cambridge Angels. But uh, you've mentioned one of them, Julia. One of my favourites is Acurix. And it's my one of my favorites in my story because I invested pre-seed and a very established investor said to me, what the heck did you invest in that for? Only he didn't say heck, he used the F word. And I said, I just really, really like the founder. And that's Acurix and they're doing incredibly well. So um, I, I also just generically, I like companies where I, I'm considered and I took an American to tell me this eight years ago, I'm considered smart money because I know the health field and that's all I invest in. So I, I I don't invest much, but I help them. And I like the companies that I can help and that um, we can, you know, I'm not necessarily on a board or an advisory board. Sometimes I am uh, that listen and, and um, I can sort of, they leverage what I know, which is great. Uh, there's one in America called Wellframe that I invested in um, before I knew about the tax breaks here that's uh, that's how green i was an angel investor about nine years ago and they're in communication in um uh chronic disease management uh based in boston they're great um i have to say chiron health which is ai into mammography uh Medifo, where i'm on the board virtual outpatients vine health founded by two women is that enough <laughs> that's loads thank you <laughs> Uh, vine health and cancer yeah and i guess you alluded to it earlier uh pam but when you make a decision on on companies to to back or um how how do you do that and yeah what's your decision making process like well um i i go on the founder or the the founding team that so it's number one founder number two founder um and and i used to think that you know because i'm I'm a woman and um, I like to think I'm a good judge of people that it was you know, maybe just me that looked at founders. Clearly, it's not just me. Um, most of the investment community, uh, they may not at founders first, but founders are terribly important. And I look at the tech or the product or the service and I look at the size of the market. I look at the com competition, which I find, I don't know about you, that there's usually a pretty, you know, mediocre competitive analysis they're not done very well but I look at the competition and then it's too early for some some people say it's too early to say but I look about at the likely exits and in health fortunately at the moment there are quite a lot of likely exits we've talked about talked about some of the big companies that might buy some of these organizations but yeah it's it's founder tech and um the market really, I guess, are the top three. And in the founder, you've got to have somebody who's absolutely passionate about what they do, who works extremely hard, they all do, um, and who can listen and grow. Because when you're investing at my stage, there's no track record. There's no track record of revenues often or any 
any hint of um, a, a history of making money or bringing in any sort of revenue. So you're, you tend to be banking on the, your judgment on what the founding teams are able to do. Um, that's really, really interesting. And I think um, since you and I have spoken, I've started to focus much more on the founding team um, yeah. than ever before. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, it doesn't always work, but it's interesting how many people do focus on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've, Pam, you and you, we've had um, sort of events before where we've talked at length about whether the NHS is a help or a hindrance to startups building businesses and health in the UK. Um, and in, in addition to that, what, what else do you think are the major challenges for health tech startups in the UK? Oh, gosh, how long do we have? Um, uh, it's actually big companies and small companies um, and say big companies from America, because I used to do this for a living, help uh, companies with their go to market strategies over here. They think the NHS is one organization. And once a decision has been made about their product or service, then that's it. You know, they've got the whole of the country. And that is so wrong. They think they can walk into number 10, which is not that difficult to do. Pulled. Um, so. Microsystems, hundreds of um, so um, it's it it's therefore difficult to get into long sales cycle, and there's something that I always say, which is um, once you go in and you think you've got agreement to buy or procure your product or service, there are about 160 people who can say no. And they're quite powerful. And for instance, clinical governance, which is making sure something's safe for clinical use, is uh, overseen by doctors, as it should be. Doctors are powerful and they can just say no. So you have to negotiate this minefield. Once you get in, it's great. And several companies have done that that we've mentioned or hinted about already today. But um, it takes a lot of what they used to call shoe leather a lot of contacts, a lot of repeat pitches to what you feel like are the same organizations. Um, however, it's, uh, there are national procurement um, systems, G Cloud and, um, the, and NHSX and national agencies which try to help. But you need, if you're coming in from abroad or if you're a startup, you need a significant presence just pounding the streets, as it were, metaphorically to get into the NHS. It's worth it though partly because it's, it's a big market and partly because other countries follow it. And you mentioned earlier that um, health tech businesses in the UK are undervalued versus the US. Um, do you think that's a challenge that we can overcome? Why do you think it's, it's that way? Um, well, I've, um, <clears throat> I keep hearing this um, and uh, Sequoia's over here, Bessemer's over here, as in having offices. And I get approached by... American VCs, probably because I, I used to work over there. And um, they do say your science is very good and, and on the bioscience side. And, and they've uh, and, and several have just anecdotally said, go in Silicon Valley, that company would be worth twice as much. So um, we there is more money over there. There's more money chasing deals. So they come over here and I've heard this anecdotally. 
Um, and I, I'm sure you have, but it, it seems to be the case. What we do about it, I suppose we could raise our prices. Um, <laughs> I mean, I encourage some of my startups. It's difficult to get into the US as well. You have to be, yeah. uh, I mean, I've said all that about the NHS, there are different challenges in the, in the US, but um, uh, having a US buyer is not such a bad thing if that's what you're targeting, because... Um, they, they, they're they tending to pay a lot. I mean, Teladoc bought Consultant Connect. I'm not making a value judgment there on its value because I don't know what it was. Uh, but it's just sort of come and make a land grab. Um, but yeah, the, the, the feeling is that we're undervalued over here compared to America. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank I, you. I assume, I think, will be if there are any questions from from any anyone who's, who's listening in, will be soon be turn, turning over. But just a few other, uh, few more questions to, to pick up on. One one when we're speaking about the ecosystem difference between the UK and the US, you mentioned um, just now, obviously that you that you thought the UK was potentially undervalued. But when it comes to the ecosystem, do you see any any other main differences uh, in terms of um, that can help companies in their early formation or scaling when it comes to health tech? Um, well, um, let's see. You need to get reimbursement for your product or service. And, and of course, you need to go through regulation in certain cases. And it's the um, and AI you have to get regulated. Um, so it's the FDA in America and maybe MHRA here. Uh, so the regulatory programs are different. The reimbursement you, you need in America to, to usually have your lawyer up. You need lawyers. You need reg, um, regulatory advice and you need reimbursement advice because you need a code to get reimbursed by Medicare and then the big payers like United, Humana, Aetna. So the payer landscape is very different. And the number of times actually talking about the difference in price of companies, I've seen the uh, people go over to the States and are shocked at how much they've got to pay for a commercial director earning more than any of the founders here, if it's UK to US. So you have to pay a lot to get a good commercial or salesperson, which is what you need in America. So you, the establishment costs are high over there. Uh, there's a lot of people going to Austin in Texas, more than Elon Musk, lots of startups as well, because uh, it's a low tax environment and a good health ecosystem. So you have to choose your city. Um, it, it, is it is very different. Um, and uh, I would say, from experience, a lot more upfront expense in terms of advisors to get through all the things I said earlier. I think I would say that. Yeah. Um, Thanks. And one last question for me. Um, if there's one thing that you would change about the NHS to help oh, oh, foster oh. innovation, what would it be? This is such a difficult... <laughs> Actually, I would change the genetic code of people who... A, a, a US friend of mine, serious investor woman, came over and she said, why can't people just say no if they don't want it? Yeah. Why don't they just say no? Why do they say, let's have another meeting? So I said, oh, it's cultural. You know, we don't like saying no to nice ladies like you. So that's a sort of spurious thing. But we're not very good at that. We'll spin out. We'll have six more meetings when we're really not interested. Um, the innovation. 
um, you'd think there's so much innovation out there in every hospital and every set of doctors and primary care. And I think we need to have an environment that just picks up innovation and will try it out, try it out and see if it works. Now, NHS X has helped with that. And we used to have an NHS innovation agency. It was all right. Um, I think the accelerators have done well. Digital Health London, National Innovation Accelerator, Clinical Entrepreneurship Programme. They have helped because they're, they link the local and the national. Um, I'm not on doing one answer, am I? They link, they link the local entrepreneurs with great ideas to national clout to help them get on. So um, I think the one answer actually will be, I want an environment and a culture that is open to innovation, doesn't stamp on it with you know, ridiculous regulatory hurdles and stuff. Yeah. I mean, um, having been around at the aftermath of the Google DeepMind, Google Health, yeah streams um issue with, uh, at the royal free i think um the sort of environment for innovation was all there and you know they kind of went in headlong without thinking through the sort of data issues and things like that um and i think for maybe a year and a half afterwards we were a little bit frightened of taking that risk again yeah. um and using agencies like NHSX um, and others to sort of help us mitigate that risk and stop, you know, um, and also yeah. starting small so that, um, you know, we don't have a huge issue again would be, yeah. would be, you know, my number one, I suppose. Because um, there's a, the oldest, longest serving chief executive in the country runs a series of hospitals in Wolverhampton, David Loughton, and he, he breaks, well, I probably shouldn't have named him. He breaks rules. And you need, I think you need chief executives. I know actor that the Royal Free did the great, great programme streams from DeepMind. And I know it breached data regulations. But I do think you need some bravery. You need some bravery running yeah. organisations. And you need some bravery at the top to have air cover to let people get on and innovate. And I know Mark Zuckerberg says move fast and break things. That doesn't work in health. You can't move fast and break people or put their lives in danger. You can't breach data regs. But I think there needs to be a bit of bravery about let's try this. Now, I know you had a difficult time at the Royal Free and, and we all felt for you. But, um, yeah, it's a shame if it made you come back, uh, you know, fall back and say we're not going to embrace, you know, we're a bit risk averse now. It's a shame. Yeah. I mean, it's also, I mean... Um... We had to write to you know almost a million people to say that we were using their data, and I think we got less than ten complaints. Um, so that tells you quite a lot about sort of yeah. people's view. <laughs> yeah. I think exactly that. I, I mean, I think from there are certain patient groups, and I would I would say that the I mean the the patients with genetic conditions that are very small, they're actually uh, on the other end actually really asking for researchers yeah. and academics to access their data yeah. to, to do work and to and actually I, I think that the, the data privacy um, laws are actually not fit for purpose. Um, so I mean I, I agree that for me that would be one area that that we that actually should be should be looked yeah. at. Yeah yeah it's uh, it's very interesting that because on 97 people Ninety-seven percent of people say use my data for medical research, but trying to get trying to get um, 
openness in data in health is very, very difficult, isn't it? Yeah. It's interesting that, that a company talking about innovators um, and Tim Kelsey's a friend of mine. I say that openly because he's not everybody's friend. He's now in Australia. He set up Dr. Foster in order to collect data, to publish it, to show where uh, he started with maternity units and he published the they published the Good Hospital Guide. The things they had to go through to get this out. And Simon Stevens now runs the NHS, about to leave, uh, as we heard today. Simon Stevens was in number 10. He helped. Rupert Murdoch helped because his uh, his newspapers published the Good Hospital Guide. And Tim is this brave, crazy bloke who did it. And I think you need some brave, crazy people sometimes. Um, and now, of course, it wouldn't be controversial, but I think you need some trailblazers like that. Absolutely. I... Oh, hello. Questions to to pa to Pam. Um, please come up and or uh, yeah, let it let us know. Otherwise, I wanted to ask you one question, Pam, with just jumping back a bit. Um, you were talking earlier about, um, obviously, Accurix. We know that's in your portfolio and you met Jacob very early on. I was just wondering if you could tell us like a little bit more about the first meetings and the first impressions you had of 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 him. <laughs> yeah, Um so, uh, oh, I'll tell you the whole story. Um, I run the Cambridge Health Network with Penny Dash from McKinsey, and it's uh, senior people um, from public and private sector. And I invite some junior doctors. And Jacob, who was age 25, turned up at my meeting. And I said, oh, are you a junior doctor? And he said, no, I'm a gate crasher. I wanted to hear the speaker. Um, I thought, oh, that's cheeky. Anyway, um, he stayed. And then he... Um, approached me about the, this idea he had for his company, which was to um, discourage GPs from prescribing antibiotics. It was a piece of software. So I, I met him and then I met uh, him and his co-founder in a cafe near, near Paddington. And I just thought, these guys are really good. They might be onto something. Now, this illustrates, Julia, for good or bad, the importance of founders because Accurix is not that product. Accurix, as you know, is, a, is an exactly. SMS product, which is now telling everybody about their vaccines apart from anything else. So my investment in those two founders, this is when my Fidelity friend said, are you mad? And then they pivoted, trendy word, to the, um, to the SMS product. But I watched them. I was pre-seed. It was, it was even a convertible note, probably. But there was nothing there. Um, and... I put my money in and along. It was a friends and family type round. And then I've just followed them and tried to help them. And um, they've done extraordinarily well. Um, and is it because of the founders? I think so. Very good tech and, and young, two young guys, no women, yeah, <laughs> who, uh, who learn. They just absorb stuff and they learn and they intuitively get management, which is interesting. Because quite a lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's true. A couple of points on that. I think that they are. Um, yeah, obviously we spoke we spoke with Jacob last time here, and um, like obviously being very close to the the customers being one. But uh, something that he didn't speak about last time was actually their the feedback culture that they have as a team, um, and I think that they are actually um, in terms of their ability to hire diverse talent. Yeah. 
um, and build up a team that is uh, that that is close to fifty percent women. I think they are actually at fifty percent women currently. Yeah, yeah. I think is is great, and obviously being in health, um, you actually would you would expect that, or it's actually easier than in some other other sectors. But nonetheless, yeah. I think it's um, yeah, it just it speaks to their their ability um, as founders for sure. Yeah, yeah and uh, you often get. Um... Uh, I'm going to be rude here to doctors. Um, doctor founders, you know, often are super, super clever. Um, actually, several of my founders are doctors, um, and they've been top of the pile at school, med school, everything in their careers, and they've never really noticed how management happens. So they, but the the degree to which they learn about it is different. And Jacob, who we're talking about as I've said, those two just absorb it and get it. And, and you're right, the culture's amazing. You probably know more about that than me. Yeah. Any other things we should we should touch on? Well, if there's anybody out there thinking of angel investing and you know about health, it's an am- I just wish I were younger. I teach on the MBA at Cambridge and I tell them all that they've got to go into health and... Uh, what a great sector it is. So, um, yeah, I wish I were younger. <laughs> Take advantage of all this because it is a great sector, as you think, Julia, and that, I think, don't you? Absolutely. There's so much that can be done still. So, yeah. Great. Well, th- Pam, um, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to chat with us. I think it's been really um, amazing to hear your, your story, uh, your insights, not just from the UK, but also the US. I think um, your portfolio of health tech startups that you've backed is, um, is really extraordinary. And, and I think we're really lucky to, to have you um, to help us continue to build um, the health tech ecosystem here in, in the UK. Um, any, any final thoughts, um, Akta or Pam? I think that I was just thinking one thing, the difference between, I was 10 years in America and I wasn't in the startup world then, but uh, Americans, as you know, and it's, it's a hackneyed old thing, but it's true that they don't mind if it doesn't work. And, you know, they'll go, they'll wear it as a badge of honor. I tried this company and it didn't work, so I'm going to try another one. And I think, uh, I think that's really healthy, actually, that you try something, you learn a lot, and then go, oh, dear, it didn't work. Yeah, and I find that refreshing. Yeah, we need a bit more of that here. Actor, what do you think? Oh, I completely agree with that. And I think um, outside of the health uh, world, I've looked at a couple of investments in the US and because there is so much money, there is also um, a propensity for founders to burn through a lot of cash very quickly. Um, and I think the UK hasn't got, you know, the UK is in a completely different direction where there's a bit less cash. Um, but I find that if we can get the balance right in terms of, um, slightly getting things wrong, getting better value for our cash, and um, and um, really, really working with the with the clever teams at the NHS plus the real life patients that they have, we can re- we can really sort of grow the market. Um, obviously, more than it has grown now. Yeah, yeah I agree. Great, great. Thank, thank you. you, thank you all, thank you both, um, and. Thanks. Uh, 
see you see you again in in two weeks um okay. thanks pam so much for your time it's a pleasure thank you thanks, thanks everyone thanks, thanks everyone bye bye, bye.